Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for an image of a deer longing and thirsting for water. Lord, I pray that this morning you would show us who we really are and you would show us who you really are. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, not only in these moments, but throughout this week, would be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you remember where you were when you felt the very closest to God? Where was the place? What was the time? Maybe it was in a church service like this. Maybe it was uh, in a camp meeting. Maybe in a revival when you were growing up. Maybe, maybe it was sometime this week. You were just driving along in your car and you felt the closeness of the Lord. I have a number of experiences like that. But the one that stands out most in my mind uh, comes to me when I hear the words that we just sang as the deer. Because I remember as a high school student going with some friends of mine up in Montana, we went further north to Glacier National Park there on the border of Canada and I went with them and we walked down this path toward St. Mary's Falls. Along the way we saw a baby bear. By the way, if you ever run into one, don't talk to the baby bear because baby bears have mother bears somewhere nearby. And so we bypassed the baby bear and we went on down and long before we could see it, we could hear the water, the sound of rushing water. And the closer we got, the louder it was. And then we opened up into this clearing and there was this marvelous vista and cascading down the mountain was this stream of water. And then it just plummeted the last 40 feet or so into an azure blue pool. And there was white foaming water and they had built a, a little bridge over that area so you could look back straight up at the waterfall and you were feeling the spray of the water. It was just magnificently beautiful. And then as we watched, a couple of mule deer came down to the water to get a drink, and then they walked up the mountain, and foolish as we were, we thought we could catch them, so we sort of chased them up the hill as they ran up beside the waterfall. A magnificent moment that I've tried in my life to replicate from time to time. I went back there when I was in college, then uh, some years ago when Tallowood sent a mission trip up to Montana, I took Melanie and our two boys, and we went to that very same. It lost something in translation for them. It wasn't as magnificent as I had remembered for them, but it was a great moment for me just to share with them that for me that was a sort of a Bethel moment as when Jacob said you are awesome in this place God I didn't know it but this is where you live of course I've learned as I've grown in the Lord that our God is a God who travels that he's not located in one place but I want to read with you this morning about a deer and a waterfall and going home to God would you stand with me as we read God's Word from Psalm 42? I discovered this psalm when I was uh, my first year in college, and it has stayed with me all these years. And as I've studied it, I discovered that the psalm after it goes with it, it has no introduction. So I'll just read them together, if I may. Starting with Psalm 42, verse 1. A mascal of the sons of Korah. They wrote this psalm. Listen to what... They wrote, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, O God. Plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp. O God, my God, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been studying uh, the Psalms on Thursday mornings the last couple of weeks, and we'll continue a week from this Thursday And we've been using Walter Brueggemann's model of the Psalms, which says that there are certain Psalms that are just Psalms of orientation. To explain it simply, they're Psalms that say, God is on His throne and everything is right with the world. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man, a Psalm of wisdom. It feels like a proverb. If you delight in God's Word, He will plant you like a tree by streams of water and you'll bear fruit in your life. It's a beautiful promise and we read it and say yes, because it's a Psalm in which the good guys win. And we like for the good guys to win all the time. There are also psalms of coronation which remind us that God is a great king and he's on his throne. Psalm 2, for instance, is like that. And it talks about his son, the Messiah. There are psalms of creation like like Psalm 8 which says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's an orientation psalm. Everything is oriented the right way. Um, The heavens declare your glory. The skies shout your handiwork. This is a Psalm 19, a Psalm of the law, which says uh, God's word is perfect and it revives the soul. And for the days in my life when everything is going right, those Psalms capture my feelings. They they express what I feel about God. I want to shout, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. But I'm glad that not all 150 psalms are psalms of orientation. That there are some psalms which are more appropriate for days that are not so good. Days like the psalmist has in Psalm 42, this son of Korah. By the way, Korah was the one in Numbers chapter 16 who led a rebellion against Moses. And with his 250 compatriots, he was killed that day. But but Numbers chapter 26 verse 11 says, but... His sons didn't participate in that rebellion. In fact, they they grew up and his descendants became the gatekeepers to the temple. They were the leaders of the choir. They led the people in song. And, And when David was running for his life from Saul at Ziklag, they took swords up to fight on behalf 
of David. They were great men of God. And Psalms 42 through 49 are psalms that they wrote. They're a little different from the psalms that we've read in the first 41 psalms, which is called the first book of the psalms, because in those psalms, everything is focused on intimacy with God. We know that because the name Yahweh, the Lord, is used prominently in those psalms. But when we get to Psalm 42, it's no longer the personal talk about God. More often in these psalms, it's about, it's about God, Elohim, a God who's distant and we even hear it in the geography of this. The, the writer is, is exiled. We don't know why he's exiled, but he feels like he's not only geographically exiled, but spiritually, he just feels so far from God. Do you know how that feels? Do you remember how you got there? He remembers. He, he remembers when he used to feel so close to God, but no more. In fact, he only hears the voices of people around him saying, where is your God? But if you read closely, especially the chorus in this hymn, this is really a hymn and there's a chorus that's repeated. I memorized it when I was 18 years old in a dormitory room in a dark hour of my life. I remember coming across this psalm and in King James Version it says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise Him who is the health of my countenance and my God. It's not just in verse 5 of Psalm 42, not just again in verse 11, but in Psalm 43, verse 5. It's there rather regularly, isn't it? It's a chorus in this hymn that calls us back to hope. And if you ask me, Pastor as we prepare for our revival, how do I get back to God? I feel distance between Him and me. My answer to you in one phrase is, not without hope. Whatever you think about going back to God, you will not get back to Him without hope. And in this little chorus in verse 5, verse 11, verse 5 again, I find direction that points us toward the Father, that points us home to Him, and in the middle of our despair reminds us that we can put our hope in God and we will again praise Him because He is the health of our countenance and He is our God. Would you track this journey with me as fellow pilgrims on this path and notice that he begins with a lament. He, he, he acknowledges that he's in a rough spot. He's in a bad place. He, he doesn't have any help where he is. He's so alone and so isolated from God. But, but even there, hope, helps him recognize his need for God. In these first five verses, there's an image of a spiritual drought. The land is parched. He can't get to the water. It's like the deer comes down to the stream only to find that the stream has gone dry. In, in secular music, I drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. I just can't get any water, he says. I don't know how to, how to quench my thirst. And he says, in fact, the only water I can find is the tears that are flowing from my eyes. He's very honest, isn't he? Um, Eugene Peterson translates the little chorus, Why are you down in the dumps? Why are you crying your eyes out? Why indeed? Why are we crying? Why are we weeping? He identifies the source of his sorrow. His soul is dry. He can't quench his thirst. And those are difficult times. But I'll tell you about spiritual dry times because I've had some in my life. I'll tell you about them. Sometimes in the drought, 
things come to the surface. Treasures which help us back to God. You know, we've had drought in the United States. I lived in Austin for seven years, and and I remember when Lake Travis was full. In fact, I remember some of our people being flooded out by Lake Travis. It's sort of the the flood control lake, and they fill it up sometimes so it goes into people's homes. But then in more recent years, they haven't even been able to use their docks because uh, you can walk from their dock all the way out to the water. It's way out there. Lake uh, Okeechobee in Florida in 2007 was the lowest it had ever been, the second largest lake in our country. But what they found was artifacts from 500 years before, arrowheads, different little... They they found a, a boat that sank in a hurricane in 1904. It's interesting what you find when the drought comes. And what if the dry season is the very thing we need to remind us of how desperately we need God. I've noticed when everything's going well, sometimes it's easy to forget God. But when, when life gets desperate, we lift our eyes. When we have no other place to go, when we finally hit the bottom, we do look up, don't we? And there we discover that God has been waiting for us to look for Him. Michael Card, the theologian who sings, puts it in song when he says, Could it be that you make your presence known? So often by your absence, could it be that by your absence, God, you are calling us back to yourself for the first time? He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He talks to his soul. It's soul talk. And, and then he, he resumes his lament there. Do you see it there in verse 6 when he says, yeah, my soul is downcast, by the way. I really am depressed. I really am. I really am disturbed. Therefore, I will remember you. I'll tell you about hope. It not only helps us to recognize our need for God, but when we've forgotten, just in case we've forgotten, it helps us to remember His name. Oh, the psalmist says in the first uh, stanza, I remember when I used to lead the people in worship. But now he says... Therefore, I will remember you. How can I remember you, Lord? I'm in the land of the Jordan. I'm way up in the heights of Hermon, the mountains that are the tallest in all of Israel there on the northern border, not far from Caesarea Philippi there where Jesus said to His disciples, Who do you say that I am? Where the mountains are snow-capped almost all year long and waterfalls come uh, trickling down the mountain and they form together into a river that is called the Jordan River. In that place... The psalmist is in exile and he says deep calls to deep. I know we want to make something mystical of that. What he's saying is the wave that is drowning me is calling the next wave to come. He's saying the roar of your waterfalls. Look, I love waterfalls. Waterfalls are beautiful. From every perspective, waterfalls are beautiful unless you're drowning in the water underneath them. Then it's hard to get perspective on the view. But even there, he begins to remember God. And he repeats the refrain, the chorus again. Hope in God. Some of you are great swimmers. I swim like a rock. In fact, I tried to do a, a triathlon one time and I, I made it. But I, I'll tell you, the thing about triathlons is if you always swim first. And if you drown, it is very hard to ride the bike. It is very hard to run. I have friends who scuba dive, and they tell me that sometimes when you go deep enough, in fact, I had friends who, who went scuba diving in Lake Travis, 100 feet down, and it gets so dark down there that sometimes you lose your orientation and your perspective, and you begin to wonder which way is up. 
Now, one Navy diver was talking about that, and his friend said, well, how do you know which way's up? When you lose your bearings, how do you know? And he said, what I always do is I reach up my hand, and I feel the bubbles because the bubbles always go up. And if I can find which way the bubbles are going, then I can go that way as well. And maybe hope, like those bubbles, leads us slowly but surely upward. Back to God. If we can just say, my hope is in God. Hope in God. He's talking to his own soul and saying, I can hope in God. And by day, the Lord directs his love. He remembers the Lord. And notice there in verse 8 that he remembers the Lord's name. He's been talking about God and God and God. But now it's Yahweh for the first time, for the only time in this psalm. He says, the Lord directs his love. As soon as he remembers the Lord, he remembers God's love. I was thinking about Kirk Kaiser's little song this week. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. There's another songwriter in Waco these days, a young man named David Crowder, who's a lot different from Kirk Kaiser. But he serves the same God. And he wrote a song recently. It's just now started to play on the radio. And he says to God, you are jealous for me? He asked it incredulously. You love like a hurricane. And I am a tree bending beneath the weight of your wind and mercy. And all of a sudden, I'm unaware of all these afflictions eclipsed by your glory. And he goes on to sing, we are his portion and He is our prize, drawn to redemption through the grace in His eyes. If His grace is an ocean, then we're all sinking. You may find yourself drowning today, but if you will look closely, you will discover that the very very ocean in which you are drowning is the grace of our God. And He says at the end, I think this is profound, I don't have time to maintain all these regrets when I think about How He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's coming up, isn't He? Why so disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, He says. And He comes back to one more lament there at the beginning of chapter 43, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, plead my cause. Why? Because these people keep saying to me, where is your God, it's hard sometimes to understand, isn't it? Why not everybody believes in the God we do. This man in exile, he's talking to people who've got their little idols. So, by the way, do we talk to the people who have their idols. A friend of mine read an editorial in the newspaper this week. I haven't read it yet, but he he read it and he talked about these professors who who were opposing a merger of a couple of institutions. And their reasoning was, we don't want anything to do. We don't want our institution to have anything to do with God. We don't want to think about Christianity. Just let us do our research without God. It was a strange sort of thing. I know it doesn't reflect everybody in that fine institution, but it was just shocking to me. After the last service, one mother came to me and she said, thank you for talking about that. She said, my little girl, Zoe, was in her class this week and there's a boy in her class who's an atheist and he's very vocal about it. And he puts down everybody who believes in God. That's the same voice that the psalmist heard, where is your God? I want to say, don't be surprised if somebody says to you, where is your God? Just, Just don't be in the group that says that. 
Don't, if you hear it enough, you might start thinking, don't, don't join them in that. A friend of mine, a great Christian, said to me recently, I just feel like God has abandoned me. I had not one iota of condemnation for him. I just listened to him and I prayed with him. Because I know what it's like to feel isolated from God. Do you know that feeling? How do you get home to God? Well, not, not without hope. It's hope that brings him back home. It's hope that sort of saves the day because he comes to the place where he says, okay, God, send forth your light and your truth. Verse 3 of Psalm 43. And then there's a sort of four-step progression back to God. Do you hear it? He says, bring me to your holy mountain. That's Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Bring me to the place where you dwell. Bring me back to the temple. Then he says, I'll go up to the altar. That's the third step. Then I'll come back to... My God, and I wondered if these verses might lead our hearts, if we might let this be our prayer in these weeks leading up to February 23rd and 24th and 25th. If we could just say, God, just bring me back to your holy mountain. Bring me back to the place where you dwell. I want to be where you are. I want to be where you are, God. Bring me back to the altar, Lord, so that I can confess my sin to you because sometimes my spiritual isolation is self-imposed. God, bring me back to you because you are my joy. He is our only joy. Jonathan Edwards wrote years ago, he said, God, you're the only one who can bring us joy. I'm not talking about momentary happiness. You're the only one who can bring us joy. He said, there there are are people, they're the streams, but you're the substance, God. They're the beams, but you're the sun. They're the rivulets, but you're the fountain. God, you are the source of our joy. And you bring us back to yourself. And I read about a young doctor who found himself over in Africa. He was researching back when HIV was just beginning to be um, a research subject there in Bulawayo. He was doing research and he contracted AIDS even through his research, through an accident. And this young Christian doctor from the UK and his wife went back to the UK. There was no way to treat it at that time. And as he drew closer to death, he lost the ability even to communicate with his wife. He couldn't speak clearly. She couldn't understand him. And one day he just grabbed a piece of paper and he could barely scratch out a J on that piece of paper. And she grabbed her medical journal and started looking for J words and calling them out to see if he would nod his head. And finally, she exhausted the medical journal and she looked at him and said, J, J, Jesus. And he nodded his head. And she realized that even in that moment, that God, that God was with them. God was still with them. And when the psalmist comes to that place, this time not, not in soul talk, but in a way of sort of delight, he says, hope in God, I will yet praise Him. My Savior and my God. Our Savior is the one. Our Savior is the one who is the health of our countenance. The one as Eugene Peterson says, who puts the smile back on our faces. He is our God. He is the one to whom we return. I love Vance Havner's writings. I got to hear him one time. He was in his 90s when he was still preaching. A diminutive little man. They leaned him against the pulpit and he preached thunder and fire to us that day. And he talked that day and at the end of his sermon he said, I'm getting close to going home. And I remember when I was a a teenager preaching in North Carolina in revival meetings and It was before flashlights, before cell phones we used to light our way. He said, I said, how am I going to make it home? I've got a long walk home. And a man took a branch and he he dipped it in some tar and then he lit the tar. And he said, here's your torch. It'll take you home. He said, but what if it goes out? And the man said to him confidently, it will get you home. He said, but I live a long way through the woods. He said, it will get you all the way home. 
And hope is that kind of torch for our souls. If you ask me, will it get us home? My answer to you is, it will get you home. Or as the poet Emily Dickinson said, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Hold on to hope. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your presence in this place. Thank You, God, that You are more than enough for us. Lord, we want to come home to You. And today we place our hope in You and trust You, Lord, to bring us all the way home. And we thank You, Lord, for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy that is more than enough for us in the darkest hours of our lives. Be our light. Bring us home to Your holy mountain. Bring us home to the place where you dwell. Bring us to your altar. Bring us to you, our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.